Hi there, travelers. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. I'm Isabella. And this is a True Crime International two-parter. So where are we heading to today, Riley? Where are you taking us? Today we're going to Aruba to talk about the super infamous case of Natalie Holloway. And Isabella is going to have like a bigger role than normal actually in this case because not only is she super familiar with it, but she's also been to Aruba. So give it up for Isabella. (laughs) I've been there like four times and that's honestly why I'm so familiar with it. Um... And a lot of the places that feature heavily in this case, I've been to. So I can add some personal insights to the case. Personal touches. So Natalie was born on October 21st, 1986 in Clinton, Mississippi to Dave and Beth Holloway. Natalie had a younger brother named Matthew. And unfortunately, their parents divorced in 1993, leaving them to be raised by their mother, Beth. But in 2000, Beth remarried a man, a man named George Jug Twitty. Jug is like his nickname, who was a businessman from Alabama. So that year, the Holloways moved their lives to Alabama. But also, Jug is like the most Alabama nickname you could ever. I was have. gonna say it's the most Southern white man nickname you could come up with. When I think of that, I think of the um. That guy from Friday Night Lights, like the car dealership man, is that what he did? You guys have never seen that? Okay, never mind. I don't know. Never mind. Just Honestly, think of Jughead. That, I, I, I watch a lot of things that are like really American, but I think that one for me is just a little too American. It's, yeah, <laughs> honestly, but that's where my love for Michael B. Jordan started, so. Oh, that's I, fair, though. That's very it. Yeah, fair. exactly. That's parenthood for me. That's my love for him. <laughs> So Natalie ended up attending Mountain Brook High School, which was in like a rich suburb just outside of Birmingham. And Natalie was your typical, perfect, all-American girl. She was part of the National Honor Society, which if you're from outside the U.S. and don't know, it's like a group that recognizes academic achievement and is only useful for putting on university applications, essentially. True. <laughs> um, <laughs> She was also on the dance team, and she was in the Bible Club. Um, Additionally, she volunteered for the Humane Society, the Cancer Society, and Habitat for Humanity. So she was like, again, the idealized, perfect, all-American girl, but not in like the fake way. Like she was just genuinely such a wonderful person. Yeah. I mean, all of those things, That's those are the reasons why this case was as huge as it was. There's mm-hmm. definitely, and this is not to fault Natalie for a second, no, but there's just a lot not. of inherent bias as the reason why this case uh, became as big as it did because she was a young, pretty, blonde American mm-hmm. girl that did all these nice things, like didn't, no one had anything bad to say she, about like, her. It's like she did everything right. Yeah. Like everything that you're supposed to do for college, everything that you're supposed to do in high school, join clubs, be in National Honor Society. And in May of 2005, Natalie graduated from high school with a full ride eight-year scholarship to attend the University of Alabama in the fall where she was going to study medicine to become that a is not easy 
no to get a scholarship like that holy shit an eight Mm -hmm. year scholarship i've never even heard of that yeah it's i mean it is it's the medical school so i think it's it's got to be like uh you know specifically for medicine like you're going to study medicine so oh yeah idea, it's like so. it's like the pre-med plus the med but it's yeah. just i've still never heard of that and i have i have friends who are in medical medical school and they've never even mentioned same. it so because usually they don't even stay at the same school so no a lot of people don't is... honestly staying at the same school for eight years sounds horrible i know <laughs> agreed <laughs> But that's not to say that I wouldn't go back to the same school for my master's if I got it. But anyways. <laughs> I would not go back to mine. <laughs> yep. After graduation, Natalie, along with 123 of her classmates, which which is a lot. I don't know if that many people went on my senior trip, but I'll, I digress. You guys had um, a senior trip? <laughs> yes. Well, not like officially, but you know what I mean. This was, this was an unofficial one too. Like Yeah. Yeah. They were gearing up to head to Aruba for an unofficial graduation trip. And Natalie's parents were like hesitant about her going at first and they didn't really want to let her go. But they eventually agreed since um, her older brother had taken the same trip a few years ago. Uh, Two of her step cousins were going on the same trip. There were going to be chaperones and Natalie really just wanted to go and have fun with her friends before she spent eight years at the same college. So... Her parents finally agreed, um, and they thought that, you know, she earned it because of everything that she did in high school, all the hard work that she put in, she deserved this trip. This specific trip had actually been done, like, every year for the senior class of Mountain Brook High School, um, like years and years and years had gone on when yeah like it wasn't trip. anything new it wasn't a, a brand new thing like it was a tradition to do it yeah and there had never been any major issues before so everyone felt really safe when they set off on their trip um and i mean it was the same way when i was in high school like every year some seniors went on a senior spring break to somewhere where there was an all-inclusive resort <laughs> and you could drink when you were 18 i mean i'm not gonna lie i went and it was just like the normal thing to do (laughs) where did you go we went to mexico we went to riviera maya yeah that's i mean when when americans say oh i went to mexico they went to riviera maya in cancun like yeah exactly it's it's the little tidbits i know about her trip for me (laughs) (laughs) and it was fun i mean i mean that's what high schoolers go to places like that for they're like i'm 18 and i can drink in this foreign country so i'm gonna go and get absolutely messed up and i'm like i'm just not gonna lie to you about those facts yeah i know angelica and i didn't do this um i think angelica and i had a very different high school experience from you riley (laughs) yeah um and i had and we had very different high school experiences from each other oh yeah for sure um i know there was a senior like spring break trip to mexico at our school but neither of us went i neither of us would have ever been i didn't know that happened bro oh i've heard so many stories from certain people that got like wasted and i wasn't there physically or mentally most of the time so my senior year wasn't there i just is it just me or I don't remember a ton of high school. Like I remember certain things. I remember doing like Dude. theater and stuff, but. So they left for their trip on May 26th of 2005 and we're going to get into it. But before we do, Isabella is going to tell you a bit 
more about Aruba so that we kind of get a sense of where they were and kind of what it was like when they were doing the things that they were doing. Yeah, so Aruba is a tiny island in the Caribbean. Uh, it's just 18 miles or 29, 29 kilometers, sorry, off the coast of Venezuela. And actually, um, when you are in the plane landing on Aruba, you can see Venezuela. And I always thought that that was really cool. Um, but when I say it's tiny, I mean it is fucking tiny. It's so small. It's just six miles tall and 20 miles wide, which is like nine and a half kilometers by 32 kilometers. It's really, really, really small. Um, there are no mountains. It's just dry and flat and surrounded by water. Um, during one of my trips to the island, my parents and I rented a car and we drove all around the entire perimeter of the island. And it took us like four hours and we, we made several stops along the way. Like it's seriously so small. Um, Aruba is part of what is known as the ABC islands, which includes, uh, Bonaire and Curacao which are all territories of the Netherlands. And in Aruba, the official languages are Dutch and Papiamento, which is like a Portuguese-based Creole language that also has heavy Dutch and Spanish and some English influences in it as well. However, um, a lot of people in Aruba do also speak English because they have to cater to the tourists. Um, and so, so tourism is by far their biggest industry. By far, like when tourism takes a hit, the whole island takes a hit and of the tourists 72 percent of them are u.s americans so they need english and like i said tourism 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 is vital to the well-being of the island so uh when this happened it was really 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 difficult to them and it's so like tourism is so important to all of the people of aruba that for the most part Tourists are treated extremely well by the locals, extremely well, because they want people to come back. They want people to say, oh, I went to Aruba and, you know, everyone was so nice and friendly and I had a great time because they need the tourist money. So by and large, it's a super safe place to go because the, the locals take tourism so, so, so seriously. Okay, back to did, Riley. Well, did you like it there in Aruba? Like, is it a, is it a cool place to go? Yeah, I mean, okay, so I've been there four times mm -hmm. and... I'm good. Like, I'm not going to go back. <laughs> and my parents feel the same way. Next to England, that's the country in the world I visited. The why did you time. Why did you keep going there? Because my parents bought a timeshare the very first time we went. Got duped <laughs> into buying one. And so then we kept going back because it was a waste if we didn't. And, like, it was, it was fine. Like, there's some fun things to do. But, like, once you've done, like, once you've ticked the boxes of the stuff that the island has to offer which we have that's just like, it's flat and nothing. There are no big waves to go play in in the sea. This Sounds like my kind of place, just calm. In yeah, really <laughs> a beach. You're just, if you're just looking to, if you're looking to just chill and not do a whole lot, just sit by the pool and drink and like walk on the beach, Aruba is a great place to go. The people are really friendly. It's not super expensive. It's just, I've just, I feel like I've like been there, done that. I would, I would rather go explore other places in the Caribbean now. You yeah, know? you're more of like an active travel person too, so it makes sense. Yeah, I like to go experience things. And Aruba is just so small. Like the, mm -hmm. the list of things to do is very short. Yep. 
So when Natalie arrived in Aruba with her 123 other classmates and the seven chaperones, they checked into the Holiday Inn, which is one of the more like affordable hotels on the island, but it's got a really nice beachfront location. So it's like great, great for high school kids that, that are going there to have fun on the beach, but don't want to spend a lot of money. Now, an important note about the chaperones, because you're probably like, why are there seven chaperones for 123 kids? Because I thought the same thing. They weren't really like meant to keep close tabs on all of the students, but for the most part, the students were allowed to go out and do what they wanted. The chaperones were mostly just there to like do a head count at the end of every day, and they were there as support for the students if they needed anything. Which is definitely different from when I went on spring break because when I went, a lot of parents went. Like, my parents were like, if we're paying for you to go on spring break, we're getting a vacation too. <laughs> so they came and like two of my other friends' parents came. And it, so it's kind of like the parents get a vacation party with each other and the kids get a vacation party with each other. But here it was very different. It was like a small group of parents and a large group of kids, which makes me very nervous same i would hate to be those parents like counting the people Mm -hmm. at the end of the day like that's a stressful stressful job yeah i mean they probably had it divided up like they had the groups that they had to count Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i think honestly i think these chaperones just went and enjoyed their own trip and then just like once a day counted everyone and if someone needed something like if any of the students needed something if there was some sort of emergency there was some there was support there you know that you could talk to yeah yeah because I have to imagine that for a lot of these students, this was probably either their first trip abroad or their first trip abroad without their own parents. Yeah. But Natalie and her friends got right down to having fun. They spent their days going between the beach and the hotel pool. And then they went to dinner and out partying in the evenings along with all of their other classmates. And they were having like the time of their lives because why would you not? <laughs> I mean, they were a bunch of 18-year-olds from the U.S. where the drinking age is 21, so they were never able to legally drink. And now it's 18, so of course they're going to take full advantage of it. I mean, very few wouldn't. <laughs> um, in later statements... <laughs> Me, I wouldn't. When I went to Italy, I did not drink. And now my mom was like, I, I feel like you, you should have. And I was like, yeah, I yeah. should have. In later statements um, with the police, two of Natalie's friends who were on the trip said that the drinking was kind of excessive, which is a little bit expected. I mean, that's surprise, just, surprise. Like, what? Yeah, that's just yeah. how it goes. And, and not just on Natalie's part. She wasn't the only one that was drinking a lot. It was it was everyone who was on that All trip. All the fucking kids. That's why they went. Why do you, yeah. Why do you think they went on that trip? That's the reason. And because of all this drinking and like kind of how crazy they were. The Mountain Brook students were told by the Holiday Inn that they were not welcome back to, to their hotel in Aruba. So there you go. We know for sure that Natalie was drinking a lot on this trip, like I said, and her friend said that she started every morning with two cocktails and then continued drinking throughout the day and into the night, which if you're going to do it big, yeah. do it like that. She's yeah. on vacation, man. With yeah. her friends. Like... With her friends. They're chaperones. But but the thing is, it's not only significant because she wasn't a big drinker like back in Alabama, but she was only 5'4 and 110 pounds or 165 centimeters and 50 kilos, which is generally pretty small yeah. for a person 
drinking that much. So like she didn't have that much of a tolerance. Like if I drink that much, I'm 5'9 and heavier than that. And <laughs> I think that I would be knocked on my butt. But I digress. <laughs> Good I see her. I see I really I, I like a drink I like to go out drinking but I ha- I have a hard time drinking throughout the day you know I can only drink for a short amount of time and then I'm like I'm over this once I eat I can't continue drinking oh that that's the bane of my existence right there <laughs> <laughs> Angel says that because once I eat and I can't finish drinking I make her finish my drink every time <laughs> is something else i'll be like oh i'm done and then she'll be like but i just ate and you do need to drink this drink that has like only two sips gone from it (laughs) (laughs) so on may 28th natalie drank so much that she had to be walked home by one of her friends been there girl yeah been there there. i don't blame her been there doing that for bella (laughs) you did not walk me home you kept your distance because i was also puking we we walked you home after that, and we had to lift you off from the ground where you fell asleep. I fell asleep in mulch. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I would, too. I would, too. The next day, May 29th, was the last day of the trip. And even though you'd think that she'd have a massive hangover, she woke up early and drank her first cocktail of the day shortly after because the hair of the dog, you know? Yeah. Her friends told her to take it easy so she didn't have a repeat of the night before, but she was determined to spend and enjoy her last day to the fullest. I'd do the same. I would do the same. And I'd do it again. They were also probably like, we don't need you hungover and throwing up on the plane ride tomorrow. So let's just... (laughs) Honestly, that would be awful. I never drink. I never have more than one drink the night before I travel because I'm not going to travel hungover. I'm not going to do that to myself. No. Me either. I refuse. Natalie and her friend spent most of that day at the beach before heading back to their hotel room around 6 p.m. to get ready for their last night out. That night, they went to dinner and then to the Excelsior Casino, which was on the second floor of the Holiday Inn. It was there that one of Natalie's friends started chatting with a tall 19-year-old student vacationing in Aruba from the Netherlands named Joran Vandersloot. Joran and Natalie's friend played blackjack while Natalie and some of their other friends watched and chatted with Joran too. After they finished playing, they decided to get a drink at the hotel bar around 9.45 p.m. And Joran joined them, but he had to leave shortly after and the group told him to join them at Carlos and Charlie's, which is like a separate bar slash club, later that night. So Carlos and Charlie's is in Oranjestad, which is the capital of Aruba. And I hesitate to say capital city because it's literally just like a small handful of bars and restaurants. It's, <laughs> it's like a couple streets. A, not even a couple. It's like a street. <laughs> um, there's not a whole lot going on in Oranjestad. Uh, but Carlos and Charlie's is like... It was like the place, especially like the bar for young travelers looking to party. You go to Carlos and Charlie's. And I've actually been to Carlos and Charlie's uh, during my very first trip to Aruba, which was in 2006. So just a year after all this happened. Well, when we when we were there, it would have been like a year and a half. Um, unfortunately, it's closed now, which is a huge bummer because we had an absolute blast when we were there. 
like we were there during the daytime when it was operating as like a Mexican Caribbean restaurant and not like a party bar. Um, and But we, when we were there, it was completely dead. And my parents asked the staff like why they were so slow. And they said it was because of their association with the Natalie Holloway case, which don't blame the business. They had it's absolutely not nothing fault. to do with it. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's a huge, huge, huge moment. But Aranya, so Aranya's dad um, is like a 10 minute drive away from their hotel. And they could, I think they got a cab. Uh, there was also, there's also a bus that takes you. It's not far. It's easy to get to. It's easy to get back. Like I said, like they're, they really cater to tourists there. So any way to get people to, you know, the city. Yeah. There are ways to get there. Yeah. So Euron did meet them at Carlos and Charlie's that night, but he brought along two of his friends named Deepak and Satish Kalpo. Uh, and they were 21 and 18, respectively, and they were brothers. Natalie and Euron drank together and danced together a lot that night, which is cool. I've I've danced with strangers. It's it's all good. Um, exactly. The bar closed at 1 a.m. and Natalie was seen getting in a car with Euron, Deepak, and Satish, though Natalie never told anyone why she was getting in the car with them. Buddy system. Always. Yeah, take a buddy with system. You. I am not here to blame Natalie. I am not here to blame any of her friends. However, oh, absolutely not. Buddy system. Buddy system. Always stick together. Never let your friends go home with strangers. Because people are creeps. Later that day, which is May 30th, the day that they're supposed to leave, concern for Natalie was really raised when she didn't show up for the flight back to Alabama. And her packed suitcase, along with her passport, were found in her hotel room. One of the chaperones called Natalie's mother, Beth, and without hesitation, she and her husband chartered a jet to Aruba and arrived that evening. Rich people. I know. They hit the ground running and immediately started retracing her whereabouts from the night before. They went to the Holiday Inn and to Carlos and Charlie's. And the manager of the Holiday Inn actually recognized the boy Natalie had been dancing with the night before and knew that he wasn't a 19-year-old tourist, but in fact, a 17-year-old local. And this is Yoran he's talking about. One that liked to go around and pick up tourists. So that was like his thing. One thing uh, to mention here is that Yoran was from the Netherlands. And so, like, he spoke English, but he had a Dutch accent. Um, and he and his family had moved to Aruba uh, several years before all this happened. But because it's a Dutch island, they can just move willy-nilly like that. Yeah. Beth, Natalie's mom, managed to get Joran's name and address and took all the information to the police, who were really slow to get the investigation going as they were convinced that Natalie was, like, still out having fun and lost track of the time or had decided to extend her vacation, which was often the case when people were reported missing. But this was an 18-year-old girl. She yeah. can't just extend her trip on her own, whatever she wants, you know? Yeah. And she was there with her friends. Yeah. Yeah, like... and on a, on a unofficial school trip as well, with chaperones and everything. Um, and I... Like, it's not the script. same as a grown person to be like, I think I, I'll stay here I'm going to stay for a while because I can. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't think she was able to use the ATM there. Like her, her card didn't work, so she only had the cash that she brought with her. Yep. So she wouldn't have just been able to be like, "Oh, well, I like it. I'm gonna stay." Nope. Not this time, Aruba. 
So Natalie's mom, Beth, went with the police to Joran's house where they met his father, Polis, who was training to become a judge, actually. And at first, Joran denied even knowing Natalie's name, but then told them that he, along with the Calpo brothers, had taken Natalie to the California Lighthouse, the only lighthouse on the island. And after that, they took her back to the Holiday Inn, where they said a security guard that was wearing black had helped Natalie into the hotel, and then the three boys left. And when they went to Joran's house, Deepak also happened to be there, and he confirmed the story as well. There was only one problem, though. Neither of them could identify the security guard. They had also gotten the color of the uniforms wrong, the uniforms of the security guards that worked at the Holiday Inn that Natalie was staying at. Now, they weren't arrested right away because their stories had matched, so the initial assumption was that they just didn't get a good look at the security guard. At this time, a massive search was put in place to find Natalie. Locals and tourists came out in droves to look for Natalie or for some kind of physical evidence to point them in some direction to find her. The Aruban government even gave a bunch of their employees the last or not the last day, the day off to help in the search efforts, which is, like, incredible of them. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And locals raised $20,000 to help with everything, and Beth and her family were put up in hotels for free. And, I mean, this goes right along with what um, Isabella was saying, how they want their tourists to have a good time. They want people to come back. They don't want bad things like this to happen on their island. And they definitely don't want people to think that they're like helping to cover it up or they're just brushing it off. They want people to know that they care. Oh, and also at first, Beth actually slept in the same hotel room at the Holiday Inn as Natalie had. But I find that a little weird. I feel like that probably should have been taped off. And like... Well, is it the same hotel room? Yeah, same hotel room. Oh, yeah, same hotel that's room. Weird. That is weird. So I feel like that should have been like not messed with but however uh she she never got back to that room because she was in that room with two or three of her friends uh and they said that she hadn't come back the night before but it was really normal to like switch rooms and like go sleep in someone else's room one night and that sort of thing so they didn't really think anything of it when they got up that morning um but she hadn't been in there and like the friends had all been in there Uh, yeah maybe beth not like, Beth maybe shouldn't have been given that room. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world because she never she never came back. So yeah. there wouldn't have been anything to find. She didn't go back with her friends. And then she obviously wasn't there when her friends left the following morning. So Several people were arrested in the early days of the investigation, including two security guards because, you know, Joran and Deepak had said that a security guard helped her as well as a boat DJ and even Joran's father, for some reason. <laughs> None of them were kept in cu- in custody for long, though, because all the evidence kept pointing back to Joran and the Calpo brothers since they were the last confirmed people to be with Natalie alive. On June 9th, Joran and the brothers, the Calpo brothers, were arrested on suspicion of kidnapping and murdering Natalie. Because Aruba operates under the justice system of the Netherlands, People can be arrested under suspicion of a crime, but in order to hold the suspects, investigators need to find evidence. The investigators were really frustrated because they didn't have the evidence that they wanted. 
And three days after Natalie's disappearance, they put the three boys under surveillance. Um, they tapped their phones, read their emails, the whole nine yards. But because of the pressure of Natalie's family and obviously the media was putting on the investigation, they felt that they had made the arrests too early, kind of prematurely. Um, but they were certain that they were going to get something useful from the boys. So that's why they did it. It's bullshit, though, because Euron and the brothers had three whole days to get their story straight and hide any evidence before they were put under surveillance. So yeah. it's bullshit that they're like, oh, this is too early. You know, we we, we, we would have gotten something from them. It's like they, they would have already said what they needed to say, you know? Exactly. I don't think that's the best police work there. They're literally just like the most obvious, though. Like there's they're no other the, they're suspects. The last people seen with her. Literally. Alive. So, while they were in custody, the story of what happened changed from the original one. The Calpo brothers were now saying that they had dropped Natalie and Euron at the Marriott's beach, which is just a 10-minute walk away from the Holiday Inn. Euron claimed that he had left Natalie uh, and walked home from there. Which, okay, the Marriott and the Holiday Inn are super close. They literally sit on the same beach. Whenever we went, we stayed at the Marriott. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked past the Holiday Inn, just like going up and down the beach. Yeah. But if you're drunk and you are not super aware of your surroundings, like she may not have walked past the Marriott that often, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It could have been really easy for her to get confused and not know where to go if she, if, if this story is true, because as you'll see, it's going to change again. Some point after that, Euron changed his story again. Um... To say that they dropped Natalie off at the Marriott Beach and then drove off with the Calpo brothers. That he didn't stay with her. He went with them. And if that were true, what the fuck is the point of dropping her off at the Marriott when her hotel is literally a two-minute drive away? And you already knew that because that's where you had met her. They met at the literally. Holiday Inn. It makes no sense. So if you're going to change your story like that and lie like that, try harder. Be better. On July 4th, an Aruban judge released the Calpo brothers from custody, but ordered Yorin to be held for another 60 days, thankfully. Then on July 17th, a piece of duct tape with blonde hair attached to it was found, which sparked hope that it was a clue, but the hair turned out to not be a match for Natalie. On July 25th, police acted on a tip given by a gardener who said that he had seen the boys digging next to the Marriott Hotel. So police began draining a pond that was across from the Marriott, but ended up abandoning the search. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why. I'm guessing just because they didn't find anything. But Nancy Gray said that the gardener's statement, quote, cracks the case wide open, but it didn't actually lead anywhere meaningful. I can't stand Nancy Grace. I know. <laughs> She's so annoying. Then there was a jogger who said that he'd seen three men burying a body in a landfill, which led to huge searches of the landfill with cadaver dogs and FBI involvement. But those searches turned up absolutely nothing as well. It's frustrating because, like, you know, when, like, cases are, like, so public, like, this always happens where, like, there's a bunch of false statements. Because, like, why the fuck, if you saw three men burying a body... Why would you not report that right away? Right away. Like, what? <laughs> like, why wait until now? Call someone. If I saw anything suspicious like that, I'd be like, ooh. Yeah. I should probably say something. 
Now, in August 2005, the reward for information that would lead to Natalie's body was $250,000, and the reward for information to that led to finding her alive was $1 million. So that also probably contributed to people like saying different things, but still. 100%. I mean... It's so frustrating. Yeah. Uh, there were rewards before this, but this is kind of like the the peak of the rewards and how much it, it yeah. was. They just kept increasing because obviously yeah. they wanted their daughter. Yeah. They, they raised a lot of money. A lot of money was donated. Lots of stuff. Yeah. On August 26th, the Capel brothers were arrested again, along with another friend of their family named... Freddie Arambazzi, who was suspected of taking lewd photos of and having inappropriate contact with an underage girl. The police were hoping this would pressure all of the boys into making a confession, but really nothing at all came from this. And on September 3rd, all four boys, including Yoran, were released from custody by a judge under the condition that they keep themselves available to the police. However... On September 14th, the Aruban Appeals Court removed all restrictions from the boys, meaning that they were allowed to flee the country, and Beth was rightfully pissed. Yeah, I would be pissed too. Because why would they remove all of those? They obviously had something to do with it. They're suspects. Like I understand not being able to hold them in prison because they hadn't collected any physical evidence. Yeah, but don't let them leave the country. (laughs) Right? And Euron did leave. He went back to the Netherlands. I mean, at least it's still, like, the jurisdiction's the same because Aruba's a Dutch island, but still. But it's still very far away. Yeah. So Joran used his newfound freedom to capitalize on his fame and started giving interviews. In one interview that he gave to Fox News in March 2006, he said that he and Natalie had gone to the beach and that she wanted to have sex with him. But he said no because he didn't have a condom. Because he's such a great guy. Yeah. And according to Yoren, Natalie wanted to stay on the beach, but he couldn't stay with her because he had school the next morning. So Satish, which is one of the Kalpo brothers, came back to pick him up at 3 a.m. And he left Natalie there on the beach. If he did that piece of shit. He said that he felt bad for doing it. But that she had insisted on staying there and said that he had lied before because he was positive Natalie would turn up. Let's Come just blame on. the victim. Come yeah. on. She wanted to stay there. I had school. We didn't have She's sex because I didn't have a condom. Girl and it's so 3 a.m. Nice. Also, her hotel is literally a 10-minute walk down the beach. Yeah. And I know that she was drunk and so he would have had to have helped her a lot, but she was tiny and didn't weigh a lot and he's a big guy. He... He could have gotten her 10 minutes down the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this story directly contradicted what Satish's lawyer had said in August of 2005, that Satish had gone home after he dropped them at the beach and went to sleep. In April 2006, police in Aruba said that they had spent $3 million on the searches for Natalie, which was 40% of their total budget. That same month, Dave Holloway, Natalie's father, published a book called Aruba, the tragic untold story of Natalie Holloway and corruption in paradise, which talked about all of the searches for Natalie. 2006 also saw the arrests of a few other suspects, including the son of an Aruban politician and a suspected drug trafficker, 
but those leads dried up pretty quickly and both suspects were released. (laughs) I don't know why suspects is so hard for me today. In April 2007, Joran published a book in Dutch called The Case of Natalie Holloway, in which he talks about his perspective of, of her disappearance. He doesn't get a perspective, okay? No. Yeah. And he also talks about the whole media fren- frenzy and his arrest. Um, in this book, he maintains his innocence, but apologizes for lying. And this just, like, he's just capitalizing and capitalizing yeah, off of this. Like, what a shit Because you know person. people are going to read that, unfortunately. I know. Ugh. In this same month, in April of, 20, of 2007, police conducted a huge search of the Vandersloot property in Aruba, which is Joran's family's property, but came up with absolutely nothing useful. They've had an awful long time to dispose of any evidence, though. Like, literally almost two years. So, I don't know why they didn't do this sooner. Yeah, especially, like, the father is a judge or was a judge in training and is going to know what sort of evidence to get rid of. Like, I don't know what they thought they were going to find, but they've literally had almost two years to get rid of all the evidence. Or if, if there were any evidence. So, which I don't even know if there would be. I don't yeah. see Euron as being the type to, like, keep a trophy, you know? No, I no, don't he's, either. He's, like, 17 and yeah. Yeah. a moron, to be The honest. only type of physical evidence I could see there being is her DNA on his clothes. Yeah. But yeah. it's been two years. Those clothes have long been burned. Yep. Yeah. A few months, or quite a few months later, on November 21st of 2007, Joran and the Kalpo brothers were rearrested. Joran in the Netherlands and the Kalpo brothers in Aruba. Police said that they had new evidence and the three were held under suspicion of, quote, manslaughter and causing serious bodily harm that resulted in the death of Natalie Holloway. The authorities in the Netherlands shipped Joran's ass back to Aruba, but whatever evidence the Aruban authorities had clearly wasn't enough because on November 30th, a judge ordered that the Kalpo brothers be released and then Yoran was released on December 7th because of their lack of evidence. Well, that's frustrating. I know. Yeah. But they did get him back to Aruba, even for a brief amount of time. So I don't even know what that evidence was. I couldn't find it. They were just like, we have new evidence, we can arrest them. And then they did. And then the judge is like, so do you so have more the this, evidence <laughs> this isn't much and they're like uh, what and so they're like well let them he was like we'll let them go because you, you can't hold them like that and uh, honestly that's to me that's at the fault of the investigators oh for sure so on december 18th of 2007 the case was actually officially closed in aruba due to the complete lack of any evidence whatsoever like literally all we have is that the Kalpo brothers and Euron were the last people with Natalie. There is nothing else whatsoever. There's no physical evidence of any kind, despite all of the massive land and sea searches that were conducted. There had been, like, a few things that had been found that, you know, maybe could have been her. Like, there was a piece of duct tape with a hair on it that wasn't hers. There was, like, a jawbone found, wasn't hers. There was, there's literally nothing. She's just gone. And this case and this investigation was a huge strain on the Aruban people as tourism took a big hit during this time. 
The Holloways, along with the governor of Alabama at the time, called for a boycott of the island and actually asked for the federal government of the United States to call for a boycott as well. But the federal government was like, absolutely not. I can't um, do that. Not necessary. <laughs> also, yeah. like, that's dumb. Yeah, you don't get to punish an entire country. Also, like, look at us. We have, like, a massive crime rate. Like, uh, you can't. You can't. <laughs> I get Stop so it. frustrated. <laughs> I get so frustrated. I can't tell you, like, uh, when that when that awful bombing happened in Manchester a few years ago, um, a few months later, I went to England for Christmas, and people were like, "Oh my god, is it safe? Do you think Do you think everything will be okay?" I'm like, "Yes, it's fucking fine. <gasps> Literally, it's fucking fine." The same thing happened with Spain. Like they had that terrorist attack in uh, Barcelona a few years ago, and I moved here the year after. Um, and I had like customers at work and stuff be like, oh my God, but they just had that terrorist attack. It's not safe there. I'm like, they literally had a terrorist attack. Do you have any idea how many shootings happen in the United States every single day? Literally all the time. Dangerous stuff happens everywhere because unfortunately bad people exist. Yeah. Bad people are everywhere. Like it is not confined to one place or only a couple places. It's everywhere. Like. That's that's that. Anyway, um, the Holloways and uh, actually some of the states joined the state of Alabama in like the boycott of Aruba. But like that's just not okay, And it really pissed off the locals in Aruba, as it should, because they felt like they were being punished for something that was completely out of their control. That that three 17 year old boys did. One 17 year old boy. The other two are older, but. Um, well, three young boys did like yeah like it has nothing to do with any it has nothing to do with any individual business like yeah the Aruman justice system or the in the investigation wasn't the best but you don't get to punish the entire country that relies on tourism because of the actions of three yeah that's dumb fucking assholes like that's not okay and like i i feel for the holloways in many ways but that honestly really pissed me off Mm-hmm. I was mad. I was mad for the Aruban people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the Aruban people, any attack on their island is taken so personally. There's this uh, influencer called Yoga Girl. She's got a few million followers. You might know who she is, but she lives on Aruba. And last year um, on her Instagram stories, she told people like, hey, don't come to Aruba. You know, it's with COVID and everything. It's not safe. Um, stay home. Don't come here. And she got death threats. Like she had to leave social media for a week. She called the Aruban authorities. They wouldn't help her because like there was no one actually at her home. Um, and I'm not trying to use this as a way to disparage the Aruban people. It's just, it's taken so seriously there that I can only imagine how this case must have felt for them to be thrust into the spotlight in the most negative way possible. And it really did hurt their tourism for a few years. Mm. And this case actually drew a lot of criticism in the US as well, because it completely dominated the news, which made it next to impossible for other missing persons cases to get the attention that they needed. And we saw the same criticism with the Madeline McCann case that we did a couple months ago. And that happened just two years after this. Yeah, The media, they really love to cover a missing white blonde female that's like... Their bread and butter, right yeah. there. That's their thing. And this isn't to diminish the importance of these two cases or what the victims went through or anything. It's more of a critique of our media culture. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Agree. 
even though this case was officially closed in 2007, that is definitely not where the story ends. And that is why this is a two-part case, because we are not even close to being done. But you'll have to wait until Thursday to hear the rest of it, because we love the suspense. We love giving it to you. Please don't Google it. <laughs> yeah, Please just Google come back. <laughs> just, <laughs> just come back on Thursday. We'll give you everything you need to know. Yeah. Um, if you don't already follow us on social media and you would like, what are you to see doing? Photos, what are you doing? Yeah, if you don't exactly. Follow us on social media. You're making a mistake. You're making a mistake with your life, honestly. <laughs> and if you want to see photos and other fun stuff, you can find us on Instagram at true crime INTL. You can find our Facebook group that is on and popping by just searching true crime international in the Facebook search bar. If you want more true crime international and you're like, I could listen to three more episodes every month. Well, surprise, surprise, we can give you three more episodes every month if you subscribe to our, fa our Patreon. That is $5 a month. We have one level and you get three bonus pieces of content. Speaking of Patreon, we have two new patrons. Oh my gosh. We have two new patrons. Oh, okay, yeah. First of all, the first one is my dad. Thank you very much, dad. I love you very much. Thanks, Neil. Neil, you're He's a real, real one. one. Love the support. And then our other one is someone that we don't know, which is amazing. It's our third patron that we don't know. It's so exciting. Thank you so much. A brand new friend. Welcome, Katie Green. We love you. We are so excited to Katie have you Green, over there. Katie Green, you are incredible. Thank you so much, Katie. Katie, we are so excited to have you, and we hope that you're excited here. And if you're on our social medias, uh, give us a little hello, because we would love to say hi to you in a way that's not um, like this more personal and also as one more thing if you're listening on apple Podcasts and you're enjoying us please consider giving us a five-star review because it helps boost the show um other than that we um angel me would like to tell you something uh, <laughs> i i just hope you've learned something new and you've enjoyed your stay here at true crime international bye bye, <laughs> bye.